Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with my co-host, SpeedwayMedia.com's John Harlow. Another great episode of Talking in Circles is coming your way. The big news of the night, Brad Keselowski and Kevin Harvick's teams have been penalized after Phoenix for failing laser inspection. Keselowski's team's penalty a little bit more stiff than Harvick's team will explain that. Also, a curious decision, to say the least, by NASCAR to not penalize Austin Dillon for his antics in the NASCAR Xfinity race on Saturday. We'll talk about that. We'll recap Phoenix, Ryan Newman's first win since 2013, RCR's first win since 2013. We'll, we'll break down Phoenix and restrictor plates at Indianapolis. Oh, my goodness, John, say it ain't so. Might be coming to Cup Series in 2018. Also could see at Pocono in Michigan. We'll give our thoughts and we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280 if you want to add to any of the conversation here tonight. But, John, let's start with it. The news of the day, uh, Brad Keselowski is number two. Miller Lite Ford team from Team Penske. Crew chief Paul Wolf suspended three races, fined $65,000, and the team has lost 35 driver and owner points. It will drop Keselowski from second to fourth in the standings. And Kevin Harvick's team, crew chief Rodney Childers, uh, suspended one race, fined $25,000, and a loss of 10 owner and driver points. Both failed laser inspection because last game did it after the race at the track. Harvick, they brought it back to the R&D center, NASCAR's R&D center. They found something wrong with the car through the laser inspection uh, on Wednesday and announced the penalty today. So your thoughts on, on the penalties, John? Are they too stiff? Are they not stiff enough? What are your thoughts here on the penalties after Phoenix? Well, one of the things that you figure out, I mean, you have to pass inspection. It's sort of, I mean, one of the things you look at when you see world outlaws run, they have to do one thing. They have to qualify. I mean, they have to go across the scale and be a certain weight. If they fail the weight, they lose the race. I think it isn't enough what they're doing. I mean, I think the 35 points is probably justified for Keselowski. I think he finished i mean it's actually more than he wound up with so i mean it was it was a worthwhile penalty but i think if you win the race and you fail laser inspection at the end you should end up losing everything it's an interesting concept john something nascar has not done i mean i should take that back we've seen him do it a couple of times as far as taking a win away but not for a uh penalty as far as failing inspection you know, remember Joey Logano a bunch of years ago when they ran that Toyota All-Star Challenge at Irwindale Speedway out west years ago. Uh, he he caused a wreck. I think he took out Patrick Shelton, if I remember correctly. It's a long time ago now, maybe eight years ago now. And he got his win taken away for a what NASCAR called was a dirty move. And, of course, everybody, if you remember in 1991 at Sonoma, if you were around then, uh, the Ricky Rudd-Davy uh, Allison deal where Ricky Rudd crossed the finish line first – but to black to the black flag, and they took his one away for dumping Davy Allison at 
Sonoma years ago, but we have never not seen them do that. And this is an interesting circumstance because Kozlowski finished fifth. And he's in a situation where he could sort of sort of R and D a little bit. Yeah, he wants to make win this regular season championship because you get those fifteen extra playoff points if you win the regular season. Uh, you move on to they carry you carry with them throughout the playoffs. So that's huge if if he wins the championship. But he could sort of R and D here a little bit because he's got his win uh, at Atlanta. You know, he can sort of test, say, hey, I got my win. I'm good. I'm in the playoffs. I'll see you in September when it, when it's for real. Um, so you have to wonder if that, a little bit of that was going on there. But it doesn't – the penalty doesn't really hurt him as far as the chase is concerned or the playoffs are concerned. He's still going to have his crew chief when he goes into the playoffs. The points aren't really going to all matter that much when he goes into the playoffs. And if he learned even the slightest thing to help him in the playoffs, it's worth it. And so that's where NASCAR's kind of in a rock and a hard place with this sort of chase, the way they have it with the eliminations. They, it sort of has helped take this, this thing away a little or giving the, the drivers and the teams a little bit more of a sting because of the fact that the regular season champion now gets playoff points, which has never happened before. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how teams play that. But um, I still think Kozlowski might have been – trying some things out. As far as Harvick is concerned, interesting that I don't think I ever remember a car going to NASCAR's R&D Center and NASCAR finding something they didn't find already at the racetrack. That's very interesting. And John, are you concerned at all? They're both Ford teams and they both are working together this year. They're working tighter than they ever have. They're not teammates, but they're both Ford teams, again, working together. Are you concerned? Ford's had a, a, a lot of speed early on in this season. Are you concerned at all that this will affect Ford for the races uh, coming forward here at California, at Texas, at Martinsville? What are your thoughts on that? I don't think so. I think, um, like you said, one of the things I'd like to know is how how the car gets through laser inspection pre-race and what they did to the car during the race that caused it to fail laser afterwards. I mean, there has to be some sort of tolerance between pre-race and post-race laser inspection to see how, because the cars are going to change. They're going to put 500, uh, in the case of Phoenix, 312.5 miles on it. There's going to be some movement in the sheet metal. There's going to be some movement in some of the parts because you're putting a lot of strain on those vehicles. I don't know what they did different to cause it to fail post-race compared to pre-race. So it would be nice if NASCAR told everybody said hey this is what we found not just hey they failed post-race or they failed this now harvick one of the things they did announce they said they failed i mean they found an adjustment to um one of the rear end issues and it was something that wasn't normal compared to how they do it and it was a unapproved assembly of how they wound up putting it together so i don't get uh, how that's the first time I've ever heard of somebody failing post-race inspection back at the R&D center and not at the track. But what um, motorsport.com is reporting on the Harvick piece, as soon as I can get it down there, is that, I mean, it was Harvick had, Sorry about that. Um, An unapproved track bar assembly that was discovered during inspection Wednesday. Now, how did they not 
discover it pre-race. That's where I want to know what the problem was. Why did it get through pre-race inspection but not post-race? If it gets through and you're allowed to race it, how is it wrong whenever it gets to the R&D center? Something NASCAR has some explaining to do. Well, and here's the thing too, John. I mean, they, they don't break these cars down like they do in the R&D center prior to the race. So I understand that. But how long has Harvick had this? How long has Stuart Haas Racing had this? And why is the penalty that much less than Kislowski's? That's where I come in to play. That's where I'd like NASCAR to come out and explain themselves. Well, Kislowski was really far – if he was really far off tolerances, okay. Come out and explain that. Tell us why Kislowski's they, – they both sort of had the same penalty in fractions. Why was Kozlowski's team got such a stiffer fine, three races instead of one for his crew chief, and a loss of a lot more points, uh, 25 more points for Kozlowski's team than Harvick's team? Why is that? Especially if you're saying you know, it's something that NASCAR had to sort of uh, tear apart the car to find. So I, I, that's where I want to come in and, and, and say, where? Explain that, NASCAR. Explain why Kozlowski, you know, if, if he was off tolerances – which is what it sounds like it was. But why is Harvick not? It said Keselowski failed for post-race rear wheel steer. Mm -hmm. So that probably means the right side was out further than the tolerance. They said you can only have it so far, your axle so far to the right, because remember how they used to have the cars almost going halfway sideways down the straightaway to go straight. Um, that's probably where the thing where Keselowski got hammered. NASCAR did say all along, we do not want that. But the thing is, they take Harvick's car apart to find the uh, unapproved device in there that's probably been there since Rodney Childers came. I mean, I don't think they've changed too much other than chassis and bodies on these cars. I mean, Rodney Childers is still running the same stuff Rodney Childers put in these cars since he started there. So this is probably something that hasn't come to light beforehand. And it's going to throw a kink into the works if that's the way they've been working on it for the three and a half years that Harvick's been at Stewart Haas Racing. It, it really will. And it'll be interesting to see, again, how that plays into Harvick uh, and that team. And, and is it a a major, major problem? Probably not. I think NASCAR, that's part, part of what NASCAR, uh, the penalties have come out and say why Kozlowski's penalties were so much more harsh than Harvick's was the fact that Kozlowski might be able to get a bigger advantage from Kevin Harvick than Kevin Harvick's could. But they've never been in the business of intent before, so it'll be interesting to see what NASCAR explains, because I'm sure somebody's going to ask him why a stiffer penalty for the two than the four team. Uh, that's where I want I would like to know as well. Um, you know, and, and John, it'll be interesting to see who, who if, if these teams appeal this, they have the right to do that. I know uh, Team Penske came out and said Brian Wilson's going to be the crew chief for the two-car at California. Uh, no word on who the crew chief is going to be replacing Rodney Childers in the, in the four-team. Uh, who do you think, John? Do you think um, if, if, if they don't appeal this and Childers uh, accepts his, his penalty and is out, do you see Greg Zepidelli going back to the, to the pit box and not a not a bad guy to have on a pit box or Kevin Harvick at all, if it is Greg Zipidelli. I think a lot of the uh, decisions that are made on that four team are a combination decisions. Rodney ends up with the final say. 
but I think he's got his engineers up there. I could see Zippy getting up on the box. I could see Jeff Meandering getting up on the box, the uh, crew chief for Cole Custer in the Xfinity series. Uh, one of those two guys, heck for everything that goes on, you could have smoke up there calling when he comes in and when he comes out and picking four engineers and all the car chiefs decide all the major technical parts. Stewart could probably call the race. So it could be any of those guys, or it could just be the, current race engineer for Harvick moves over, sits in the big chair and they work as a team and continue to do things. I mean, you think about it, Roddy Childers is going to do everything, but be at the track. He probably already has cars set up. He's probably already got the notes. Um, While they're practicing 10 to one, they'll be on a cell phone to Roddy Childers and Rodney will be watching um, all the times on NASCAR.com and be watching everything on TV and in between sessions, they'll talk. Rodney will give them the what-to-dos and everything. The only thing I can see them not doing, heck, you never know. Rodney may just be texting him what to do, what what Harvick should do during the race, because he'll probably be listening to the scanner on NASCAR.com. You're right. And I think where the only reason where it hurts these teams, missing your crew chief, is on race day. You don't have the same uh, you know, lingo. you got to create new lingo if you're trying to hide things, like we saw with the 18 car. Uh, that split-second decision where you kind of sit there and go, okay, we're making this – we're taking two tires. Let's do it. You know, I think a lot of these crew chief, these drivers trust their crew chiefs, especially when you look at, it, at people who have been together for a while, like Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, like Brad Keselowski and Paul Wolf. They trust their crew chiefs. When, when Paul Wolf says you're taking two tires, Keselowski says, listen, I don't, don't, I don't know why we're taking two tires, but I'll do it. You're the man. You are the guy. Let's do it. And they trust him. Now you're going to have that in the back of your mind where Brian Wilson, yeah, he's worked with him in the Xfinity before, but it's not the same thing in Cup. With the pressure in Cup and the competition in Cup, it's not the same thing. So that's one thing to keep in mind there. I think the only thing that really will hurt these teams is race day. No doubt about it. They're going to have, I'm sure, Childers and and Paul Wolf will be locked into a computer where they're going to see all the info that the uh, electronic fuel injection gives them and and where the driver's braking, where they're not braking the throttle points and stuff like that. So absolutely. I, I think the only day it's really going to hurt these guys is race day as far as the crew chiefs are concerned. So they hit them hard with the fine. They hit them hard with a lot of points, which I like. But again, you have to wonder uh, how much do these teams care about that? Do they really want to win a regular season championship or are they sitting there going, we got wins. We're good. We're good to go. That's something to keep in mind. Another thing, John, that came out of Phoenix that I thought was interesting, Austin Dillon in the Xfinity series. Now, if you don't, if you didn't watch the Xfinity race, I'll try and recap it real quick for you. Austin Dillon got in a wreck with Cole Custer. Custer got loose underneath him, uh, hit, hit Austin Dillon, spun him into the outside wall. Now, Dillon was not happy about it and waited for Cole Custer on the racetrack in his car and then drove Cole Custer up into the wall. And, you know, sort of like what we saw with Bill Elliott do with Dale Earnhardt back in, in 87, uh, Jeff Bodine did it as well back in the All-Star Race in 87 and the Winston. Um, but NASCAR came out Friday, John, and said if, you know, the reason why Kyle Busch and Joey Logano didn't receive any penalties for their fight at Las Vegas was they didn't use their cars as a weapon. Austin Dillon uses his car as a weapon and gets no penalty whatsoever. Can you explain that? Not one bit. Not one bit. I mean, you saw... When Kyle Busch hit Ron Hornaday under caution in the truck race in Texas, 
Kyle Busch sat the whole weekend. There was no, this happened Saturday and Austin Dillon gets to run the cup race Sunday. When Kyle Busch hit Ron Hornaday under caution at Texas in the truck race, he missed the Xfinity race Saturday. He missed the cup race on Sunday. He was parked for the weekend. There should have been no difference to this. I mean, I was listening to a lot of the talk stuff throughout the week where people were saying that Austin Dillon should be suspended for the cup race this weekend. And people like Moody are like, well, he did it in the Xfinity series. Why should he be penalized in the cup series? Well, that's the one where he's earning points. That's the one that matters. If you take away one of the things with these drivers, you can take away money. It's no big deal. Half the time, the teams pay the fine. You can take away lower tier races. They do it for fun. You take away the big time stuff. That's where they're earning their keep. That is their chance at a championship. And I think it's wrong that Austin Dillon is even on the track this weekend. I think, and Dale Jr. said it in his podcast today. We're teaching the kids coming up that it's okay to use your car as a weapon. As long as it's under caution and it's slow speed, you can take somebody out and run them into the wall. That's not the way to do it. I mean, Larry Mack used to say whenever he was a crew chief, beat the hell out of each other. I don't care. Don't beat up my car because then my boys have to go back and we have to fix that. And we have other things we need to be working on instead of fixing something that you got pissed off and messed up yourself. So I think Austin Dillon should be parked this weekend. Uh, Jim Utter put it perfectly at motorsport.com. NASCAR had a shot to do something and blew it. Well, and I read that article, and if you uh, – a hot take, we could say, from Jim Utter on motorsport.com. And I'm going to – you know, I sort of agree with you. I don't think it was it needed to be as stiff as parking Austin Dillon this weekend. Uh, but I do think he deserves some kind of fine or some kind of – you know, even if you find him $20,000, at least you come out and you say, you know what? We weren't happy with the way he did it. Now you sort of sit there and go, you're opening up a can of worms because now you're going to sit there and what you just did, John, is an absolute perfect example. You're going to sit there and the fans and the media members and everybody that's in this, even the drivers and the teams that are going to get penalized for this in the future are going to go, well, Austin Dillon didn't receive any penalty for what happened uh, at in the Xfinity race at Phoenix, but Kyle Busch got parked for an entire weekend Where's the okay and not okay? And if NASCAR used to come out and say, you know what, use your car as a weapon, which Austin Dillon clearly did, that is a that is no good. Now, obviously, you could say what Ron Hornaday, what Kyle Busch did to Ron Hornaday, and what Austin Dillon did to Cole Custer are two completely different things. And I would agree with that. Well, Dillon, we're still not happy with the way Dillon did it. We're still going to come out and fine him, give him twenty five thousand dollar fine. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, you know, we're going to take points away from the team owner, points away from the team, whatever. As long as you show to me that they weren't happy with the fact that he did that. But to come out and do nothing, it's just mind-boggling to me because I think it just shows that now you've sort of opened up a can of worms to where, hey, if I do the same thing as Austin Dillon did, I won't get any penalty. Okay, I'll keep that in mind, but I can't do what Kyle Busch did, so obviously it can't be as... Uh, reckless and as abrupt as what Kyle Busch did, it just to me you could have nipped it in the bud and said, and but and said, listen, this is it. We don't want you using your car at all as a weapon. So uh, I think that John NASCAR really failed on. But you know, and listen, well, 
Go ahead. 20000 bucks is not going to stop Austin Dillon from doing anything. Absolutely not. Steve O'Donnell said Friday when Joey and Kyle came out of the NASCAR hauler, the following edict, we were very clear that we're not going to allow a car to be used as a weapon. This is Friday morning before the first practice at Phoenix. Late Saturday afternoon, Austin Dillon used his car as a weapon. Now, either that just shows that NASCAR has had their balls chopped off and they have no power to do anything anymore, or they decided, well, Austin Dillon's a good guy. He's Childress's grandson. We're going to let it go. He's not a black hat like Kyle Busch is. I mean, it's almost – it's as much as I hate to go back to the old Stewart days, this is WWE. It's turned into WWE. You get your white hats, you got your black hats. And Dylan's a white hat. And they let him get away with it. And if Kyle Bush did the same thing, Kyle Bush would have been parked Sunday. Kyle Bush either would have been parked last Sunday or parked this Sunday. And I mean, heck, you saw M&M's issued a statement when Kyle Bush charged Joey Logano that this isn't something M&M's as a sponsor condones or will tolerate. NASCAR, after putting their big edict out saying, we will not allow a car to be used as a weapon, let's Austin Dillon get away with it. And this is where they wonder why the fans are going away. At least in baseball, the mound 60 feet 6 inches from the mound to home plate. Pass interference is pass interference in football. Hitting the quarterback late, hitting the quarterback late. If you say you're not allowed to use the car as a weapon, guess what? You're not allowed to use the car as a weapon. And if you do it, you're going to get parked. That should be flat out in the rules, not even up for determination. You hit somebody else under caution for no apparent reason. You get parked. I mean, you saw what happened. They get fined if they get out of their car and walk Mm -hmm. toward another driver after the Kevin Ward incident. Right. Danica Patrick got a huge fine for walking toward another car to give someone the finger. So did Jennifer Joe Cobb did, yeah, too, as well on the truck series. And that's fine for giving someone the finger or waving at them to say, hey, I'm, I'm ticked at you for hitting me. This is retaliation with the car. That's there's no way. And the fans are saying, okay, what's the real rules here? Do we change them by the day? There's no, there's no consistency. There hasn't been for a long time. And until NASCAR gets their crap together and puts some sort of consistency in and says, okay, if you use your car as a weapon under caution, you're parked this week, you're parked next week. Sorry about your luck. Go find someone to drive your thing. And I don't care if you missed a chase because you were stupid. Well, and and I understand that way of thinking. And I totally agree that I think it sends a mixed message to the fans. Absolutely, that they don't come out and, and penalize Dylan. I totally agree with that. But to me, parking him for this would be a little bit of an extreme. To what again? And this is my, just my opinion. We don't have to agree on this. What Kyle Busch did to Ron Hornaday and what Austin Dillon did to Cole Custer are two completely different things, in my opinion. Uh, but again, definitely should have been a penalty. Definitely should have been at least a fine for Austin Dillon. And it's not going to – you're right. The fine isn't going to sort of you know, say to Austin Dillon, well, don't ever do that again. But it'll send a message saying, you know what, we weren't happy with it. It won't send a mixed message to fans. 
I'm okay. And, and here's the thing. Like, I don't know how – I'm okay with, with you know, the fact that if a guy penalize, gets penalties a lot, you sort of sit there and go, well, now we're going to be brash because we're not as, as – you know, we're going to be a little bit more harsh to you than we are this guy who, who's been sort of good um, throughout the way. And I understand – and you want him to call a spade a spade, but – if a driver's a pain in the neck, if a student's a pain in the neck in a classroom and gets sent to the office, he's going to get sent to the office for the littlest thing, where if a kid's good and behaves himself, he'll get away with that. Uh, but again, I do think it sends a mixed message to fans, Sean. I really do, and uh, I think he definitely should have been at least fine for that, that. And to send no penalty, I think, is a very mixed message. Uh, what's your final thoughts here on Phoenix? Anything from the weekend, John? I think the... The saddest part, and this a couple times we've had this now, is the big story of the race. Ryan Newman won it. Right. And we'll Vegas, talk about that next. Nobody realized, nobody realized Martin Truex won it. They realized that Kyle Busch went after Joey Logano. Ryan Newman, his crew chief, Luke Lambert, who we've been pretty critical about on this show because he hasn't won a race as a crew chief, took a gamble because he knows Newman's good on pretty good on old tires, and he figured – we're an 8th to 13th place car with four tires. Let's run it. Let's take the gamble. We got the clean air. We have a chance to, if worse comes to worse, we may end up with a top five and still get points that carry on toward the segment points and get us in the top ten. Um, the other thing out of it is if you're, there was some really good racing between third and 15th. Mm-hmm. But if you got out in clean air, you were gone. And the aero package has not made it any better. The low downforce hasn't made it any better. There's great racing in the in the middle of the field, but there's nothing up front. You can't pass. I mean, I looked the other day, 28 cars in qualifying were within a half a second of each other. You can't pass if you're all going the same speed. I agree. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to join a conversation and talk in circles, um, Listen, I think to, to to sort of backtrack a little bit, I think the the move uh, Luke Lambert made there to get Ryan Newman out in front in clean air was fantastic. First of all, Newman had a car that was really, really good on a long run. We saw him towards the, late, towards the tail end of a, of a long run in the third stage make a lot of movement. He packed a lot of race cars. He was one of the fastest cars on the track. And he got nothing to lose there. I mean, he's run. I think he, when that caution came out for Joey Logano spinning, I think he was eighth. You know, take a risk. I like that Luke Lambert did that. And, uh, you know, Brian Patty did the same thing to, to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. It paid off for them as well. But it was a huge win for Newman, his first win since Indianapolis in 2013. Richard Childress's first win since Kansas in October of 2013. The number 31 team's first win since October of 2008 at Charlotte, which is hard to believe. And like you said, Luke Lambert's first win as a cup crew chief, you know, a, a gutsy call, a call that would probably got him a lot of flack if, if Newman wrecked or something like that. But Newman is one of the toughest guys to pass. And you're putting him in clean air. I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant move to stay out. And it paid off for him. He did a great job. Uh, same thing with Stenhouse. You know, Stenhouse, Brian Patty kept him out. Stenhouse finished fourth. I thought a smart move. Uh, you know, and, and give a call to Larson again. His third straight second-place finish here, here, coming to Fontana, which is a two-mile track, similar to a track he won at, at Michigan last year. 
Uh, I think he's a force to be reckoned with. He currently leads the points. Chip Ganassi has got their cars figured out. They're a lot faster than they've ever been under with Kyle Larson driving these cars. I think Kyle Larson is dangerous. He's got to put a race together, especially the end of the race together. But I thought a great weekend again for Kyle Larson and a good weekend for Kyle Busch, John. Uh, we haven't seen a whole lot from Toyota. We haven't seen a whole lot from that 18 team. Bad pit strategy. You know, if that caution come out, doesn't come out for Logano losing his brakes, Kyle Busch is in victory lane, no doubt about it. Uh, he was the dominant car all day long. So I think a good weekend for Kyle Busch and a good weekend for, for Kyle Larson, no doubt about it. The first four races of the season, the person who's led the most laps has not won the race. I mean, Kyle Busch had the best car on that track all day long. I mean, Harvick had a really good car. He started crappy but made him got himself up into the top five and was running up there third and fourth the last segment of the race. That's a lot of cars he passed on the track. There wasn't a whole lot. He, I mean, he passed some on pit road because his team's been knocking off some really good pit stops this year. But he had a great car throughout the day. Kyle Larson had a really good car throughout the day. The sad part is Joey Logano had a brake issue, blew a tire, with two, and they wound up going to overtime where it was a two-lap shootout. I mean, Newman proved that he had no tires. Larson had two. Some of them had four. But it didn't matter what kind of good years you had on it. If you had the clean air, you had a really good shot. Somebody would have to pass Newman, and Newman's got the widest car on the track, whether he's battling for 15th or whether he's battling for the lead. It's true, and, and I, that's, a, I think, a decision that Luke Lambert went into Luke Lambert's decision as well, and I thought it was a great call by him. Like I said earlier, and a couple of other guys who had good days, who had interesting days, Stenhouse, Roush Fenway, their cars have been a little bit faster this year. We've seen some nice flashes of brilliance for them. Stenhouse did a really good job, fourth place run. Again, in the same run we saw Newman running really good, we saw Stenhouse moving up through the pack. Stenhouse at one point, I, I remember he was about 24th in the race and worked his way all the way up to 12th in about 40 laps. He was fast for a while there. Uh, fourth place run for him. They made contact him and Larson there. Probably uh, gave you know ensured Ryan Newman a win there. The contact between Kyle Larson and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. on a restart. But listen, they're both fighting for the same real estate. It was clean racing, and that stuff's going to happen. And uh, Newman, once Newman, you know, once that contact happened, Newman was in clean air and he was gone. Uh, but an interesting guy here, finishing sixth, John was Harvick. You talked about him a little bit earlier. He got up to about third or fourth there. Uh, you know, but finished six because of pitch strategy and stuff at the end. But we did not see him dominate. He didn't lead any laps. Um, a very interesting day. We talked about this on Friday when we realized where he qualified and where he was in the first practice. We said, oh, well, they're, they're going to be a good long-run car. And they were okay. They were definitely okay, but they did not come out and dominate like we've seen Harvick do at Phoenix. He was Mr. Phoenix for a while. Do you think this has anything to do, John, with the fact that you know, Hendrick Motorsports, their cars are really, really good at Phoenix. Uh, you know, traditionally really good at Phoenix. Obviously, they moved to a new to a Ford team where they're hanging their own bodies and stuff. Do you think they had anything to do with it, that they're missing their relationship with Hendrick Motorsports? What are your thoughts on that? I don't think so one bit. I think uh, Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick will have their stuff together. They just had – I mean, he missed – he missed time to lap. I mean, there it was hot all weekend long out there. And if you went out at the wrong time, you were not going to do well. And Harvick went out at the wrong time. I mean, there was it was sun. If there was a chance of a cloud, that's when you went out and you got a little, bit, little wee bit faster. But like I said, 28 cars were within a half a second of each other. So 
Harvick makes the corners a little wee bit better, he's in the top five. And if he's in the top five qualifying on Sunday, he's run a, he ran away with that race. So I think the fact that they went from qualifying 23rd, 24th in there and wound up in the top six and ran in the top three the final stage of the race, I'm not really worried much about Roddy Childers and Kevin Harvick whenever they go back to Phoenix in November. I think that that car has been performing relatively well. They've had some issues. I mean, they had a tire issue um, at Vegas where they blew a tire. They got caught up in the wreck at Daytona, but they were running up front. I mean, he was he dominated Atlanta, and there's nothing he can really do about it. I mean, he's had a great car all season long. The thing that hurt him in Atlanta got that speeding penalty, or he's already got a win in the books. And he's got the sticker on his car, and he's experimenting. I think Stuart Haas Racing has shown um, a little bit. They've been a little bit better this year than they were last year because I think Kurt Busch is running a little better. I think uh, Clint Boyer's running better in the 14 than Stuart did. I think him and Bogoravich are starting to click. Um, Boyer's been competitive. He hasn't been Absolutely. sitting back there in 28th, 29th. So I think it's a good move for Stuart Haas at Ford. I think they're getting a lot of great engineering. They're working hand-in-hand with Penske. I mean, some of the chassis they have are Penske chassis because they haven't got their chassis all done in time. So I think it's a good relationship. I think Ford and Stuart Haas are going to be fine. And I don't really think they're missing the uh, move away from Hendrick. And I think Hendrick's kind of glad to have them gone because they can focus on their four cars in-house. And it looks like Casey Kane has been the um, – recipient of Hendrick focusing on Hendrick instead of all the other teams they've been building chassis and supplying stuff for because Casey Kane has run well all year long. Yeah. And I'll say this much, you know, as you bring up Hendrick Motorsports, a little bit of a disappointing weekend for them. You know, I think Dale Earnhardt Jr. Qualified uh, third. He was up there and he just, you know, and he was saying he had brake problems from early on in the get go from that race. And maybe that's true. Uh, and, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with, with why he finished in the 14th spot. But that 88 car, you know, considering what they did there in November with Alex Bowman behind the wheel, I think a lot of people expected that 88 car to go up there and compete for a win, run in the top 10 all day, and have a very good day. It did not happen. I think they were disapp- I think you're disappointed with that. You know, no Hendrick Motorsports car, aside from Chase Elliott, led a lap. Chase has been the breadwinner so far from that Hendrick Motorsports team. Uh, that 24 car has been up front all year long. They've done a lot of great things. I think Alan Gustafson's doing a great job building cars. Chase will get to victory lane eventually. The 48 team seems to be a little bit eh. The 88 team has yet to have a top 10 finish. And the five car, like you said, they're running better than definitely where they were last year. That five and 24 shop, I think, is just a step ahead of that 48 and 88 shop. And something I want to touch on, John, from Phoenix, which I thought was interesting, was the fact that we saw some brake issues. From big-time teams, not only have we seen brake issues, you know, usually you see some brake issues, you know, for smaller teams, teams that don't have a whole lot of engineering help and stuff like that. But, you know, the 88 car, Dale Jr. was complaining about brakes all day, and the 22 car about Joe Logano lost his brakes. Uh, two big-time teams, Hendrick Motorsports and Team Penske. Lower downforce package, it takes a lot more brake to slow the car down with a, lo- with a smaller spoiler. They're a little bit faster than wh- what they were last year uh, going to the straightaways. Uh, so the brakes were a little bit more of an issue here at Phoenix. Do you think this is something that these teams will compensate for? Because Martinsville's coming up next week. That is a track 
notorious for being hard on brakes. And if you know Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the 22 car had brake problems at Phoenix, I'm dying to see what kind of brakes and, and if they have any brake problems at Martinsville. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are t- uh, a couple circumstances that you can rule out whenever they go to Martinsville in a couple weeks. The track temperature was 145 degrees. The ambient temperature was 95 degrees at the end of the race. It's probably going to be 50, 55 at Martinsville when they run in a few weeks. So it's not going to be like you have the extra heat going in there. So not only is it hot putting the brakes on, you've got the tires heated up. I mean, they burned a lot of inside beads because of how hot the temperature was and how hot the brakes got. And it wasn't like they had a lot of air going in there because you're only allowed so many ducks to cool off the brakes now. So I think it was more of a heat issue than it was a brake issue. But I do know that uh, the 40, the 88, the 22, the 20, all of those teams will go and look at their brakes again before they roll out to Martinsville because Martinsville is notorious on brakes. But I really think the temperature caused a lot of the brake issues and a lot of the tire issues out of Phoenix. Interesting. And you're right. We won't see that. Uh, you know, 95-degree weather like we saw at Phoenix this weekend at Martinsville. But I thought that was interesting that a lot of drivers and, and teams are saying lower downforce package might have had a little bit something to do with that. Uh, and Martinsville's, you know, like I said, notorious with breaks. You know, John, let's, you know, talk about uh, the points here for a second. Not too much, uh, not too many surprises up front. Kyle Larson, I think, is a, obviously is a surprise for four races into the year because of the fact that, He's leading the points because uh, Lasky was second before the penalty, uh, so you could drop him to fourth. And then it's, now, so it's Chase, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and Martin Truex Jr., then Brad Kozlowski, Joe Logano, Ryan Blaney, Jamie McMurray, and Kevin Harvick with the penalty, Kurt Busch, and Casey Kane, your top ten. Um, you know, Newman's into the chase because of his win, as is Kurt Busch, as is Truex, as is Kozlowski. Uh, anybody you see sort of down or, or up? that you're surprised with this year uh, and anybody down that you think needs to pick it up as we get forward here in the NASCAR cup series season. Um, I was kind of surprised whenever Dale jr. Said on his uh, podcast that they were experimenting a little bit out of Phoenix as low as they are in the points right now. I'm surprised that they were experimenting this early. You'd think they would try to knock out a win before they would think of experimenting, but points and Dale jr. Needs to get needs a good finish. I think Jimmy Johnson's team, I think part of it, they're still playing catch-up because they were so focused on the 2016 season going for that seventh championship that they didn't get a jump on the 2017 season. So I think they were playing catch-up a lot this – they are playing catch-up over the winter. Um, I think Casey Kane's team probably did a lot of the R&D on the lower downforce package to try to get stuff together for it and probably were leading the way because they were so far out of the chase that they wanted to make sure somebody got the advantage to get started on it. So somebody had uh, the notes, somebody had an idea of what they were looking at and how to get this lower downforce package going for the team because Chase Elliott was still in the chase and Dale Jr., he was still concussed and they were running Alex Bowman and the 88 probably did some experimentation, but probably not near as much as the five did. So I, I'm surprised how bad the overall Hendrick Motorsports performance is. Chase Elliott's doing great. He's going to continue to do great. That kid's a stud. He's a star in the making. Um, 
at Phoenix, it kind of surprised me how Ryan Blaney's day went. He started on the outside front row and wound up in the 20s. I mean, he kept going backwards throughout the day, and I expected him to be up front contending. And I think part of it is not being used to driving in the super slick conditions that they were driving in at Phoenix. Yeah, he had an issue with his uh, track bar. Uh, the motor on his on his uh, driver adjustable track track bar broke, and I think that really did a twenty one car in because when you got going against every other driver who's got been able to move their track bar any way they want uh, during a run, that's huge. And it, it just seemed like as a, a long run went on there, when we saw Newman and, and Stenhouse really pick up, that twenty one car was one of the cars dropping back, and I think it was because you know he could not adjust his track bar, and he could adjust it obviously when he came into a pit. But by that time, he was 23rd and way in the back. So I think that really did Ryan Blaney in. Uh, I've been impressed, though, John, with the speed from that 21 car all year long. I think the 21 car is making strides. I mean, let's look at in reality. This is their second full-time season in a long time. Last year, you could tell they were getting going early. They struggled midway through the season because they almost hit the – like when you go from college to pro football, college you're playing 14 games, pros you're playing 20. And that spot in the middle where you're used to having the break before the bowl game, the rookies hit a wall in the NFL. I think the Wood Brothers team hit a wall because they hit uncharted territory. And this year, I think they've showed good speed throughout the thing. They've had a couple bad luck situations, but I think the wall isn't going to be there as much this year for the Wood Brothers. I think they will contend throughout the year. Um, I feel bad for A.J. Allmendinger, the fact that he's 31st in points because he had three lug nuts loose. Um, It's sad that Allmendinger is so far back for three lug nuts and Keselowski failed post-race laser inspection and Keselowski's fourth in points and Allmendinger's 31st. I mean, if you look, they were basically the same penalty for three lug nuts compared to failing laser tech. I mean, again, it's one of the things where NASCAR, I think they have, um, I, I, I like the fact that they're penalizing harshly. And if the rule's the rule, you fi- you follow through on the rule. And there's no interpretation to it. It's black and white. The gray area is slowly but surely coming out of the NASCAR rule book. And I think it's worthwhile to do that because there's too many people who – especially fans who don't understand the gray area and they don't understand why one team gets this penalty. One team gets that penalty when it seemed like the same thing, especially if you look last year, right before the chase, when Newman got his penalty and true X got his and true X walked into the chase and Newman wound up getting penalized to where he couldn't get close to 16th. Yeah. No, I'm oh, that. You bring up a great point. And I totally agree with you as far as that's concerned, but Almendinger, you know, the reason why Almendinger's down there in the points is because he doesn't run as good as a two-car this year. And an interesting thing I'm noticing is, aside from Ryan Newman, who won it at uh, at Phoenix, he's locked into the chase. The OCR team's having some trouble this year. Paul Menard's 19th in points. Ty Dillon, who's basically a fifth, uh, fourth RCR car, he's 24th in points. Austin Dillon's 25th. Michael McDowell is 26. He's got an association with Richard Childress Racing. And then you have the two uh, JTG cars who are 31st and 32nd in points, and they have an association with Richard Childress Racing. So there's those RCR cars just seem like right now they're not running as good as they did a year ago. 
and aside from Newman, it seems like Newman and, and Luke Lambert have hit on something a little bit more than the other RCR cars. But early in this season, it seems like those RCR cars have not run as good as they normally have. Well, um, with the Paul Menard thing, he's just getting used to having um, Matt Borland as his crew chief. It's a new combination. But we've both said over the years, Paul Menard's in that ride because of daddy's money. Um, Ty Dillon and Austin Dillon are in their, in their rides probably because of Pawpaw. They're pretty good drivers, but I don't think they are somebody you're going to contend for a championship with. I think there'll be enough to keep the doors open at RCR, but I don't think there will be enough to contend for a championship with. Newman's the only proven out of all of those drivers that have an association with RCR. I think Michael McDowell has been really good for what he's done. He's driven better this year and showed more this year than he has in all these years in the Cup Series. And I'd love to see his first season, full season in the Cup even though he's been here, been around forever, he's never driven a full season. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see his full season do well. So Michael McDowell being 25th, 26th in points, I'm fine with that right now because he's in uncharted territory. I'd love to see him be successful because he's one of those underdog guys that you do root for. Yeah, and I think with the JTG team, and I don't mean to speculate here before we move on here, but I think going to a second team is really sort of, hurt them. They might have spread themselves too thin, too quick. Who knows? But uh, it just seems like Almendinger, who ran really well at times last year, it just seems like they, they're 47 and a 37 are sort of uh, not where you expect them to be. And maybe it's got something to do with just a newness of a second team. And maybe by midseason, you'll see them start to take a step in the right direction. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to join the conversation and talk in circles, John, <laughs> Another in- interesting piece of news that came out this week, restrictor plates. NASCAR has officially announced, and they've been talking about this for a couple of months, but it's officially announced that they will run restrictor plates in the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, if all goes well, we could see it in the Cup Series in 2018, and they may ex- expand the restrictor plates onto tracks like Michigan and Pocono. Um Interesting news. I think we all saw it coming, uh, but what do you think about restrictor plates at Indianapolis, John? I think Dale Jarrett said it perfectly, and you posted it on uh, the Talking in Circles page throughout the week. They went to a restrictor plate on a flat track once at New Hampshire after the death of Adam Petty and uh, Kenny Irwin Jr., so they thought they needed to slow the cars down at New Hampshire, and Jeff Burton led all 300 laps. Indy is a one-groove track into the turns. You can only be in one spot if you're going to do anything. You've got to be on the yellow line, just a hair above the rumble strips. If they put them in pack racing with the restrictor plates, all they're going to do is create pileups going into turn one. And it'll be an unabashed, complete calamity. It'll be a complete monkey screwing a football that there's no way they will do the thing at Pocono. Again, another one-groove track going into turn one and going into the tunnel turn coming out of three. Michigan, it might work because there's five different lanes to go on. You could go all over the place at Michigan and pass and drive. They could do pack racing at Michigan, and it probably would be pretty good. 
but there's no way in hell it's going to work at Indy. There's no way it's going to work at Pocono. And all I can see is, especially with the Xfinity drivers, you're going to have a few of the cup guys down the Xfinity, but it's getting close enough that they're getting close enough to the chase that the cup contenders are going to start saying, okay, I need to focus on my cup car. I need to stay out of this. And there's a lot of young, untested drivers that drive in over their head. I mean, the Austin Dillon thing with Cole Custer, Cole said it himself. I was in over my head. I tried to do too much and I got away from me. Picture a bunch of those guys trying to do too much. It gets in over their head and they pile up the whole turn, the whole field in turn one. I mean, just imagine the second place car takes out the leader and everybody just keeps driving into them because they can't get stopped fast enough. There's nowhere to go. You've got the infield grass. You try to go that way, you tear up the splitter. So you end up losing the whole field on the fifth lap of the Xfinity race at Indy. And whoever's starting 32nd, who wasn't fast enough to get to turn one in time, is going to win the race. I mean, it has every bit of a cluster written all over it. Yeah, it's to me, I don't like it for a couple of reasons. One, I don't understand, you know, to me, too much of a good, of a bad thing, you know, you could have too much of something, I should say. And I think people, you know, you don't like restricted points to begin with on a super speedways, John. And I think there's a lot of people who agree with you on that. But for the fans who, who tolerate them and like them, I think we sit there and say, listen, restriction plates, four is plenty. We don't want to see any more because then it becomes sort of gimmicky where, you know, we have a lot of, of wrecks and it's sort of survival of the fittest per se. Um, so four is plenty. One of the chase, it's plenty. Do we really need to have, you know, a, a, a restriction plate race at Indianapolis, Pocono, and all both races at Pocono and both races at Michigan. So you're going to add five. We're going to have nine restrictor plate races. Uh, you know, too much. It's too much. We're going to have more restrictor plate racing in NASCAR than we would have short track racing. To me, that's crazy. And I think that is my biggest problem with it is the fact that we we're going to see we could see too much of this. Now, as far as Indianapolis is concerned, listen. If it, if I had it my way, we'd still be running over there at IRP uh, in the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series. That was a great, great, great show. Uh, short track racing is where it's at. NASCAR needs to, to accept that more, and it's a business deal of why we still go to Indianapolis. Don't let anybody tell you different. It's a business deal. They tried to figure out ways to sell infield lots. They're trying to figure out ways to sell more tickets, and they think an Xfinity race at Indianapolis – and, and buying the combo tickets is going to help the, the attendance at Indianapolis. It's not. And Indianapolis has put on a horrific, horrific show since 2008. And that's part of the problem. The other problem is, John, why they're not selling tickets in Indianapolis? I know. It's going to be ama- It's amazing to me. It's amazing, right? Kentucky. Kentucky, a track that NASCAR, when it was originally built, NASCAR told the people at Kentucky, you will never get a cup date because you're too close to Indianapolis. We put a cup date there, and now people aren't showing up to Indianapolis. It's a miracle. I know. I just don't understand what NASCAR and these people think was going to happen when we introduced a better racetrack for, for cheaper tickets because you're not going to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. 
two 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 and a half hours away from Indianapolis Motor Speedway at Kentucky. No wonder why the, the, the a month before we go to the Brickyard 400. No wonder why the attendance is down. And it's not as good as a show. I mean, it was never a barn burner of a race where you sat there and said, man, that was great. It was never that, but it was watchable. And I agree with Dale Jarrett. I think we need to look at these cars and look at the aerodynamics and look at the package of these race cars on these tracks and say, we have to fix them and get them right. The hell with the owners sitting there telling you they don't want to, they don't want to spend the money to, to, for new packages every week. Baloney, get this package right, please. Well, you remember the day it used to be they would change the package at times on Wednesday going into Sunday's race because each one of them was different. I mean, you look, remember back in the day when it was Ford, Buick, Pontiac, Chevy, and somebody would claim that the other person had an advantage and they'd take them to the wind tunnel and they figured it out so they would adjust the adjust the ride height on the Ford and say, okay, you have to be three inches off the ground instead of two, or they would raise a spoiler on one and not on the other to try to even the field. But each individual car had its own identity. And it was the matter of which, which car owner griped the loudest and who Bill France listened to before there was any changes made. Now it's like one package for the whole year. And I'm sorry, the same package that runs at Auto Club Speedway this weekend is not con- not going to bring you the same great racing that you're going to see with the same package at Martinsville the next race. Agreed. Agreed. And that's, why I, and that's why I've been saying different templates for different racetracks. I've been saying that for a while, and I don't, I'm not saying we need – you know, 22 different templates for each racetrack, but, you know, for the, the two-mile tracks have a different template than we do for the short tracks and stuff like that. I think that would go a long way with this sport. And, John, you brought up a great point. I think absolutely correct. Back in the 90s when, when the uh, owners used to complain, and, and Rick Mass told us this when we talked to him last year, that, you know, one time he was in Daytona and he watched Bill France Jr. say, cut that spoiler down. He goes, what is he doing? And Bill France Jr. told him, as long as those fans in the stands are happy, it, it shouldn't really matter to you guys. And that's correct. And that is to me where NASCAR sort of gotten away from, you know, yeah, the owners are going to complain that they're spending all this money, but the fans got rewarded. If we saw a bad race, NASCAR fixed that the next week. We don't see that anymore. Well, part of the thing is, and we've talked about this to, till we beaten the horse dead is the amount of engineering that goes into these cars. Back in the day, I mean, 15 people on the crew, and they built the cars by hand. And there was no wind tunnels. They went out there and they ran. And what they brought to the tracks, what they ended up with at the track, they didn't have all the simulations and everything that went with it. You didn't have 50 people coming to the track to try to figure out how to make it different to where they could all, I mean, if you think about it, they can almost completely redo the car with the body on the car just by sanding, shaving different things to the car that they do. And then they re-wrap uh, it Sunday morning, and it looks like nothing's been done to it. Um, I just miss the days where, I mean, if you remember, they used to, I mean, Carl Edwards had a concrete car, a car that ran only on concrete races. Mm-hmm. And it used to be like that till they came up with the car tomorrow. And they said the car tomorrow was supposed to be the one that 
You could take it to Daytona one week and you could run it the next week at Richmond if you wanted to back when it was the second race. And I think that took a lot of the racing, a lot of the intuition, a lot of the uh, smart guys who come up with great cars and took it out of the game. I mean, cars used to have 75 cars in inventory. Now, if they have 30, you're lucky. Yeah, and I'll tell you, Rusty Wallace used to have, I think it was Midnight or Banker at Bristol, and he used to beat everybody's brains in with that car, and he used it year after year after year. And that's where I think, if we do separate templates, John, that we could see that again, where, you know, you say, well, they're going to build different race cars. Absolutely, they're going to build different race cars for different racetracks, but if the template stays the same for three or four years, you can bring a car back and say, hey, it, it still fits under the same templates. It's still probably just as good because teams are building new race cars. And what they did, John, and what teams focused on back then was, hey, we're not very good on the super speedways. We'll focus on we'll, – we'll really work hard on our super speedway cars. And that might take away from the short, their short track program if they were good on short tracks, vice versa. So it sort of makes teams sort of focus – on every on 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 certain dip types of racetracks, and now we just focus on on engineering and stuff. And and I'm sorry, I just get so annoyed at Indianapolis because, listen, I, I I'm all for it. if you want to keep NASCAR in Indianapolis, I'm all for it, but don't sit there and tell me that we have to run restricted plates here. It's it's sort of to me NASCAR throwing up their hands saying we're done. We don't want to. We tried the, the the high drag. We tried the lower downforce. None of it works in Indianapolis. So now we're going to try restrictor plates, and we're done. And we think that's the best because we're going to move it to, to Pocono. We're going to move it to Michigan, and we're going to have nine restrictor plate races. Uh, I just, uh, I mean, come on. I mean, you got to be kidding me that we can't think of another idea here. We can't get this package right for Indianapolis. Hopefully, um, we do because I, I just get, I just. Uh, you know, the, again, the people aren't showing up to Indianapolis. I get it. Indianapolis is in a bad state of mind, but let's try and work with it. Let's lower the ticket prices. Let's do whatever we got to do to keep that, the Cup Series in Indianapolis. But the Xfinity Series race, two boring races in Indianapolis Motor Speedway, is not what the fans want to see. I can guarantee you that. Well, the one thing back in the day, I mean, you remember Rusty did have Midnight. Jeff Gordon had Blacker. They had cars that you knew which one it was. You can mm-hmm. ask half the time you can ask the driver what car you're in whatever one they put on the truck they don't know which car it is back in the day gordon used to pick out he wanted blacker because that's the one that used to beat earnhardt and rusty and rusty had midnight because he could run it at bristol and he was always going to win at bristol and he could run it at richmond and do well there and he run martinsville and do well there i mean they had that short track car midnight that was unstoppable that stuff doesn't happen anymore because everything is so aero-sensitive, and it doesn't matter anymore what they do. They all have the aero going in, and no matter what, it's the racing's terrible. I mean, you look since they t- – whenever they put that low, whenever they took uh, horsepower away a couple years ago, that's when the racing got bad. Because the year before, they had a great aero – a good aero package. They had all the horses, and we had so many great finishes. Then the next year, they were taking uh, horsepower away. And now we're back into, boy, this aerodynamic package sucks. Yeah, it's just to me, listen, uh, I understand Indianapolis hasn't been a great show. I get that. Nobody's showing up since the tire debacle. I understand that completely. And you want to keep NASCAR in Indianapolis. It wasn't built for NASCAR, but let's try something different. And 
restrictor plates to me is just a sort of throwing your hands up and saying forget about it. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. I thought we had a great show, touched on a lot of topics. I'm excited for California. Uh, should be a lot of fun out there. Old racetrack, wearing tires, should be a lot of fun. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next week.